we are doing really, really well on, a, on I would say, a basic welfare perspective of providing good health. You know, I, I think we're doing that. We're, we're providing for their basic needs, right? So I, I think in general, we're doing that. Where I think we, we haven't yet captured or we're still missing is how do we get to that next level, that quality of life issue that we're only beginning to understand and, and also beginning to understand how that impacts our production. And so I think it benefits the farm. I think we're going to see when we start thinking about optimizing animal welfare um, with production. A whole new era of communication in the dairy industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global dairy industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Dairy Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Diamond V, because animal health deserves a healthier approach. AB Vista, feed intelligence and targeted ingredients to optimize rumen function. Your partner for improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt. Welcome to the Dairy Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global dairy industry. When it comes to raising healthy animals, you need more than the right solutions. You need the right partner who brings decades of industry expertise and a global team to put that knowledge to work for the advancement of your operation. At Fibro Animal Health Corporation, we are proud to work with you as your trusted partner. Hello and welcome back to the Dairy Podcast Show. My name is Barry Bradford from Michigan State University. And today I uh, have the good fortune of having a chance to talk with Dr. Jennifer Walker. Uh, Dr. Walker graduated in 2000 from the University of California, Davis, and spent four years in private practice on California dairies before earning her PhD at Ohio State in 2010. Realizing that the greatest opportunity to drive meaningful improvement in animal welfare was through the supply chain, Dr. Jen made the leap from the barnyard to the boardroom and joined Dean Foods, leading the development of their animal welfare program as director of dairy stewardship. Dr. Jen then joined Dan in North America as director of milk quality in 2018 and is now responsible for managing milk quality from farm to factory gate, as well as the development and management of Dan in North America's industry-leading animal welfare program called Quality and Care. Dr. Jen also completed her master's in animal welfare ethics, policy, and law through the University of Edinburgh in 2018. In 2019, Dr. Jen's efforts, passion, and results in shaping national best practices in dairy animal welfare were recognized by her alma mater, UC Davis, as one of the College of Agriculture and Environmental Sciences Award of Distinction recipients. So, Dr. Walker, with that, thank you so much for joining us on the Dairy Podcast Show. Thanks. Happy to be here. So I, I'm sure this is a difficult question, but I'd like to start with, because I don't have a sense of it, what does a typical week look like for you? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, typical. I, it it reminds me of, um, I, you know, I didn't do well in cardiology in vet school, um, but one of the, the my favorite patterns to describe was an regularly irregular heartbeat. Um, so, um, I would describe my job as regularly irregular. So it, um, it really depends, you know, um, I get a great opportunity to work with students, um, throughout the year sometimes. And when they ask the sort of the same question, I, I start off with saying, I, I hate my job. 
but I love what I do. Um, and part of that hate is I spend a lot of time at a desk. I spend a lot of time on calls, um, writing up whether, you know, we're looking at our specs for raw milk or processes or, you know, there's just a lot of that. Um, there's the business side. And then, uh, when I really have fun, um, it's to be out on farm with either with my team, training auditors, working with farmers, um, in doing that. And so, so the, the office stuff is, is where I spend probably 75%, 60% of my time. And that's to build all the stuff, right? So we could go out and do the fun stuff. And so right. I have a, uh, small but mighty team, uh, what I call, uh, sexually referred to as cow champions. Um, and they're the ones who, um, I think they have the hardest job. Um, but they have the funnest job uh, at the same time um, because they're the ones out there day to day working with the farms, um, following up on our audits and the process and, and, and the, so what the, the what's next. So, so we audited your farm. What are we going to do? Right. What do we do with all this information we had? we asked so lots of questions. Um, what are we going to do with it so that we create meaningful change on your farm? So, so um, yeah, so it's, it's a pretty atypical um, week. It's hard to say from one week to the next. I might spend a month on the road driving. Uh, uh, you know, we work with farms from New York to California. And so um, eventually I'll get to everyone. Um, I, that's the plan. And it's a little insane to think about, but um, so it's a little bit at a time. Yeah, I, I understand that. It makes sense. So that brings up a question in my mind. I think it's probably natural for a dairy farm to be sort of wary of somebody coming in to look over their shoulder and audit them. And, you know, you kind of feel self-conscious, I think, in that situation. Um, But obviously, it's an important aspect of meeting consumer expectations and doing better. Does anything stand out to you about dairies that score really highly or, you know, do well in those assessments? Do they have a different mentality or anything like that? Yeah, that's a, it's a really interesting question. question and you're right they are i i think what's interesting is that from a dairy farmer perspective from agriculture it, it is very new to them to have somebody come in and and look at the business and scrutinize it if you will but that's you know for, for the the rest of most industries that's been the norm for for years <laughs> you know at the plant you know um at our processing plants um not like a month goes by that, that we don't have some sort of audit whether it's a you know food safety audit or something and so um, right. i get that they they actually have been pretty insulated from that besides their grade a milk inspector you know um, right sure. we have organic farms that they're they're used to that so they have the organic inspection so it, it kind of depends on the farm um it also depends on their experience with inspectors previously as well sure because not all inspectors are created equal um, and so some are used to being a little scrutinized a little bit more than others. So, so a lot of it kind of depends on their past experience, um, with them. Um, but I think one of the curious things is, is you mentioned just like how they score. Um, and that's the one thing is that I think people come into it and it's natural because, you know, your grade A permit process involves a score, right? Um, our, our program, much like the farm program, there is no score, right? Okay. So we try to tell them like score, there's no grade. Um, they often want one. So they're like, if you were to give me a grade, um, <laughs> so I get that as well, but it, it's really about, um, for it is performance. And so while there's no score, I kind of look at the outcomes 
of our process as a as performance. How did you perform? And then there's this paperwork process. <laughs> and and I think there's dairy on how they deliver on both of those. And so if you look at the paperwork side of things, um, you know, it's it's making sure we have our veterinary record documented, our treatment records, our SOPs done. Um, and some farms really excel at that um, and, and others not so much. And the one thing that I will say is consistent when it comes to success, far, farmers that have their daughters in charge of that <laughs> do exceptionally well. Um, uh, so that's the one pattern we've noticed. Um, when they take that on, it's like just amazing. Um and the farmers that have a veterinarian of record that has decided that they're part of this team in this regard, like they've taken responsibility for that. And, and that's when I think it works so well because they're, they've, they've taken ownership along with the farm. They've come on this paperwork process and, and wanting to make the most of it. And, and that's when it works really well because all of that work pays off at the farm level because that's when we, you know, we review an SOP and realize it's not what we're doing. Why? Right? There's procedural drift, and sometimes procedural drift happens for a reason, a good one, and other times not so much. So, so there's that opportunity. So that's when I see the the difference on that side. Um, and then the performance side of it is when we look at things like the outcome measures of the cows. So, you know, locomotion, um, hawk scores, body condition, hygiene, and where I see those. The, the difference there is really um, on the farms that A, have, A, recognize that importance, right? So there's, there's the farms that, that have, have been able to avoid um, what we, we tend to call barn blindness, right? So an abnormal has become normal. So they, they've been able for some reason to avoid that, which is probably the hardest thing to do. Um, so they've avoided barn blindness, but they've also then become critical or willing to to look at that and 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 understand the value of what that means to the operation, right? So what am I going to do? So you tell me I have 20% line caps. Um, is that normal? Is it is it normal for you? And just because it's the average for the industry, does that make it okay? Right. Um, and so those who, who are able to look past that, and I think when they then are creating or, or, or transmitting this habit of thought to everyone else on the dairy. So whether a small family farm or a large family dairy with many employees, if they've been able to translate that level and that habit of thought around um, looking at those cows as an individual um, and seeing how that translates to, to the, the performance of the farm, that that's where we see it because because it's when I see it doesn't work I should say we have we have folks who who will see things so even if we're not barn blind we see things but it's not my job right yeah. so so I give an example like one thing that that happens often is that I, if we're out there scoring cows um it's not uncommon for me to point out a cow to somebody in the pen it might be the breeder right whatever their job is in the pen maybe they're you know, scraping, scraping the bedding or, you know, fluffing stalls, cleaning waters, maybe they're breeding cows. And I might point out, this is, you know, this cow is severely lame and kind of ask, like, what's the plan? She's out here with everybody else. Anybody notice her? And if somebody 
response to me was, well, it's not my job. Those are the ones that don't perform well. The ones when I point that, when I point that cow out and you see the person write it down, whether it's on the back of the glove or whether they, you know, remember the thing and they go straight to tell somebody, those are the ones that perform well because everybody on the farm knows that while it might not be my responsibility to follow up, it's always my responsibility to care. And, and when, when that habit of thought and that expectation has been, you know, driven down for lack of a better word from the top, because that's where it's going to come from. Those are the ones that perform really well. And, and that's really the, the difference. And when you see that on a farm, it's just so nice. It's, you just, you feel good about it, right? Cause you know that, you know, that things are going to happen. No farm is perfect. Cows are going to get sick, right? Um, it's, that's okay. It's okay to have lame cows. It's okay to have sick cows. We understand that. The, the difference in when, when farms, the, those top tier farms that are performing well are those farms where every single person on the farm, big or small, understands that every cow is my responsibility. And I, I don't just get to say, you know, not my job. Yep. That's great. Yeah. Building a culture where people feel like they are going to act like they have ownership, right? That's, that's so critical to a successful business. So you, you work at the interface of dairy farms and their downstream consumers. Um, and that's a lot of your job is to sort of, you know, work on that communication and that improvement on both ends. Maybe from your vantage point, what are the highest priorities that consumers would have when they're choosing whether, you know, to feel good about buying a certain dairy product? Um, you know, I, it's actually pretty straightforward. It hasn't changed much over the years. Um, it's, it's always price, quality, and trust. And, and maybe trust is the one thing that's kind of risen up to the top uh-huh. in the last, last, you know, 15, 20 years. Um, but yes, and, and, and what I think is important to understand about price, you know, we, we, we do get a lot of pushback from farmers. You know, everybody wants to get paid extra. Like when you go out and do the audit, like, are you going to pay me more for all that? And um, it's important for firms to say, like, there's just an expectation, right? So people aren't going to pay more for better quality necessarily or better welfare. I, I used to compare it to, um, you know, if yeah, I don't have kids, but um, if you did, like, if you were looking for a babysitter and you're, you know, you and the wife or the spouse are going out, and you ask the babysitter, you know, like, well, how much do you charge? And if that babysitter asks, like, well, it depends. Do you want me to be nice to your cows? Like, do you want me to be nice to your kids? I mean, if you just want me to watch them, it's one thing. It's like 10 bucks an hour. Do you want me to actually be nice and, you know, entertain them? That's a whole different rate. And and that's kind of like what we're asking people when we say, like, are you going to pay more? Like, seriously? Um, so I think it's really important for us to get that going on and, and to understand that there are clear limits on price like we see it uh when when the price of certain things go over a certain limit sales go down and so it's this constant balance of where are we going to make more and sell less and and you know our our challenge so is of course we want to sell because when we do well everybody does well um so there's there is that definite price factor um and i think that the goal is that understanding that when then when we get all the other stuff right all other things being equal from a price perspective what is going to drive a consumer to select us over another, right? And that's where quality and trust comes into play. Um, and we do know that quality quality is is 
is experience and quality is perceived. So it's absolutely important for the milk quality side that we deliver high quality milk to the factory gate. So we always tell farmers, I can't, you know, we can mess it up. But I can't make it any better. Um, and, and, and how good that milk is coming in makes a huge difference to shelf life, to taste, to texture, all of these things. So that's critical to the milk quality side. So that experience, that consumer experience is essential. Um, but there's also a perception of quality. And we do know that how people perceive quality is impacted by things like welfare claims, like you know, other things on the label, welfare in particular. So, or even things like when you say grass fed or organic, it impacts their experience with the product. And so um, it is important. And there is, there is an opportunity there for us to attract consumers or what, what I like to call brand affection, right? So, so when, when people, what makes people return to our product? Um, if we look at historically some of the, um, the products that I think we're early in on, on these claims of whether it's welfare or other things where it became create, right? And I, and I think they were kind of led astray a little bit on, on what it took to attract and, and maintain consumers there because cage free eggs had a unique um, characteristic in that they tend to, they're brown, right? So, so if you, if you look at a grocery store, there's something distinctly visually different for a cage free egg from what I'll just call a regular table egg, which is white. And so consumers who are looking for that had a visual cue to go on. Um, when it comes to milk or, or dairy products, there's not a huge difference, right? In, in, uh, it, well, even in, in quality specifically, you know, milk from good welfare cows isn't necessarily going to taste different, uh, right. not in any really perceptible way, right? And so the challenge is how do we make that connection? How do we translate all the good work we're doing on farm that, that when farmers do uh, provide good welfare, how do we translate that to connect with the consumer? And, and that's how I think, you know, this is where all these audit programs come in. We can gather the information. Um, because it, it has to be built on trust, right? So in order for you to trust, when I say that our farms are, you know, are, are doing their level best to provide good welfare, you know, I'm not promising that people are perfect. I'm not promising that every farm is, has a great day every day, but I'm promising that we work and strive to do our level best. How are you going to hold me accountable to that? And, and the reality is for you to have that trust in our product, I have to be able to back it up. and not only show you the standard, but show you the proof of, of what we're doing. So that's where all of those things, those three things tie together. And that's where I think animal welfare programs are so important across all of animal ag because it touches on all of those things um, that really drive that consumer connection to the product. Great answer. So we, you know, you, you've talked through how much you and your team um, focus on getting out on farms in your system, looking at the way they're taking care of animals. I'm sure you could you could point at a number of issues that farms are working on or should be top of mind as they evolve as a business, as they look at new facilities, that sort of thing. What what would you point out as the top three or four things that we need to keep working on as an industry? Um, you know, it's really hard for me to pick just a, a few things because it, it does really, I think, depend on where you are. Sure. You know, and where you're daring, dairy. Um, but the one overriding thing I would say is, is change, right? So, 
So thinking about animal welfare and what we're learning and, and trusting what's, what the folks, the academics, you again, had a great podcast with, with Dr. Van Oz, you know, the amount of work and research that's being done in animal welfare in the last 15 years is incredible. It's exponential. Um, yeah. I used to be able to keep up with it when I first started because it wasn't, there wasn't all that much published, right? Now it's good luck. I, I rely on other folks to distill a lot of that information for us and how do we apply it to the business? And I think being open to look at all those, but with a critical eye to say, okay, we've learned something new about welfare. How does this apply to my business? And so being willing to look to folks like us as resources, hopefully to their veterinarian as resources, to say, okay, the, they're asking these questions. So whether it is around cat housing, so social housing, whether it's around how much we feed our calves, um, whether it's around cows and their access to outdoors, I'm not sure, is it outdoors, is it pasture, is it, is it just their ability to um, make choices about their environment? Um, maybe they live inside all the time, but because they can get off concrete, right? So that's where I think we need to be willing to, whatever farm system you're in, you need to be willing to look at that system and and try to consider what do we know today about cows that we didn't know five years, 10 years, 15 years ago? And how is it honestly going to change my system? Because I do tend to see sort of, you know, dairies aren't monolithic, um, but yet in certain areas, they tend to be built as as though they are, right? Are so right. The yep. same barns. We see the same styles of barns in certain areas. And I have to scratch my head because... We haven't built systems. Many of that's my key. We, we need to start, every farm needs to start building the system around the cow instead of building necessarily the most efficient system, you know, from the price, even for, you know, like you, you just know, like they squeezed everybody kind of like, like how we built it, right? Um, and I, and I think imagining, not being willing to imagine different systems where, we are able to provide that next level of welfare. Because I do think we are doing really, really well on, a, on I would say, a basic welfare perspective of providing um, good health. You know, I think we're doing that. Like, it's, it's a, it's a we're, we're providing for their basic needs, right? So I, I think in general, we're doing that. Where I think we, we haven't yet captured or we're still missing is how do we get to that next level, that quality of life issue um, that we're only beginning to understand and and also beginning to understand how that impacts our production. And so I think it benefits the farm. I think we're going to see when we start thinking about optimizing animal welfare um, with production, we're, we're going to kind of see things in a whole new way. But the, the challenge is unless farmers embrace that and start experimenting it and trying to solve the questions, we're going to be in a little bit of a pinch because what's done in research, right? We've done this for years. What's done in research doesn't translate always to the farm. So the trick is we have to be willing to then take that and say, okay, what does that mean for me in this, in my system, in this system? And then how am I going to do it differently? Because I, I think if we keep building, you know, if you, if you go up to Wisconsin and see that typical bar and you see that typical bar and a typical CrossFit bar or even a typical, you know, tie bar, if we're still building the same bars that we did 
five years ago with little adjustments hither and, you know, here and there. I really think we need to think, think and outside the box. How do we give cows autonomy? How do we give cows the ability to choose uh, some things in their, in their environment that are important to them? And I think understanding we're learning more about what's important to cows and and then we need to figure out how do we respect that, I think. And that's what I think is going to unlock, you know, sort of the future and, and more doors that'll benefit both farmers and the cow. But it means we have to like kind of throw away the blueprint and go <laughs> and just stop doing this building the same bar again and again and again um, with like some tweaks. But but I, I, I think we need to really start thinking outside the box a little bit. And maybe this is asking too much because, I mean, it's it's not up to you to figure out the engineering and everything, but I'm I'm struggling a little to to solidify what you're saying. I like you know I, I get the point of yeah we tend to make little tweaks because we know this barn works in this way and it's riskier I think to try something way outside the box right. But um are you what's in your head when you're saying those things? Are you thinking like a bedded pack barn should be looked at again more carefully? Yeah, so it's a Depends. So if I'm thinking of like calves, um, yep. like social housing, right? So sure. um, I think social housing is important to calves. I don't know what the right recipe is for that necessarily. Is it paired housing as a group housing? Um, can everybody do it? I'm not sure because, you know, some small farms won't have that many calves. Um, and so it might be something like that. What does that look like? You know, we're not just going to come in and say, thou shalt all house caps this way. Um, And part of it's being willing to experiment and try something. So you figure out that didn't work. Why did it work? And I I think Dr. Van Oz brought up a good point on the last podcast about, you know, once you go to group housing or prepared housing, you better feed more because, you know, there was a reason we got to, there was a reason we got some single housing. Right. And so, and I think that's what some people tend to forget or folks who are perhaps even overly critical of our systems is that, you know, regardless of what folks think about our current ag systems and animal production systems, um, I think it's important and fair to remember we got here for a thousand, a thousand reasons, right? And a thousand reasons over time, not a single one of those reasons were because we we set out to be back. <laughs> that was never the, the goal. We always endeavored to do better. We always endeavored to, 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 to make it better for the cow, food safety, all of those things. And then sometimes I think we probably just overcorrect or the system yep. works then. And, and now we're, we're different and maybe we don't have the same pressures and we can go back. Um, so I think that's important to just always remember. Cause I, I always, I do feel like from a farmer's perspective, I can pr- appreciate how they feel like in it, it'd be easy for them to take our, critique of the current system as a, a actual criticism to say like you're how could you have built that <laughs> right here just awful and so i we need to make sure that it's not about that um when you think about on the cow side of things i don't know and that's what i'm curious is about like is it a bedded pack you know because i think bedded packs have their challenges right so there's not a single system that i can think of that doesn't have a downside right even if i think of like pasture pasture access woohoo sounds great until it's not right until you know i look at a lot of pastures that don't have shade okay that's 
if we force cows outside with no shade, I think that's a welfare issue. Um, and and what I really like are systems where we have we we can give cows the ability to choose their environment a little bit better. Um, and I do think being able to get them off concrete is it an exercise pen? Maybe not a bedded pack, but giving them places where they can figure out, you know, sort of and, and express their natural behavior. Because I think if you've seen, you know, we've all seen cows, whether it's on a bedded pack or, you know, a dry lot, you know, the running, the quite the spazzing out, right? And and even being able to lay comfortably. Like when you're in a group of cows where they're really free to just lay in every possible position you can think of, you realize that in some of our systems, we, you know, it'd be the equivalent of asking me to sleep in a, um, you know, even if I got upgraded first class, it'd still be asking me to sleep, <laughs> sleep on a plane every day, you know, and there's not, there's a limit to that. And, and that's where I think we need to think creatively about what does it mean to just have that and not be able to go really lay where you want to lay in a, in a way that you want to lay down or, um, to give you that freedom to to interact with your penmates freely without the worry of slipping and falling. That if you want to just run, like, you know, I was I was in a bar the other day and it was, a, I mean, she was a funny cow. She was excited about some, I don't know what, but she was just hauling right down the lane. And what's the first thing I think of is like, oh gosh, don't, don't, don't it's slip. Yeah. Don't fall, right? And, and it, it'd be nice if we could figure out ways that cows can kind of just, you know, be themselves and um, and and enjoy those 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 natural drives that they have um, in that. And I and I and I I don't have a solid question for you. I mean, a solid answer for you. And it's because we don't know. And this is the exciting part: is I I do think we're just going to have to push to think creatively and really take that pause and say, okay, when we're going to build a new system, what does that look like? Um, and really push ourselves to think creatively about it. No, that actually helps me a lot. Yeah, you're, you're kind of laying out the types of questions in your mind. And yeah, to your point about some people not always understanding how we got to where we got, I always think about, you know, we went from, partially we went from pasture to concrete to resolve mastitis issues, right? And then you turn around and get that through the whole system and we recognize all the lameness issues. So it's like, you kind of end up feeling like damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? So that's... That's yeah, hard. it's hard. And there's, I think that's the key is there's always some, there's always some compromise. And we just need to decide what compromises are we willing to accept? Um, and then wherever possible, how do we minimize those, right? So, so then I think we do, we, we've done an amazing job building barns that are comfortable for cows. Now it's like, okay, which, which have resulted in some issues. So now the thought is like, how do we make that better? And I think that's exciting, and I and and that's where I think it's hard. Where I think a lot of farmers just feel like they're constantly being criticized. But the reality is, everybody is. I mean, again, if you, you know, whether you're building planes or you're building iPhones, right? They're constantly they're constantly trying to figure out better. What does better look like? And and so it it is no different. And I I think that what's different now for dairy farmers is that. They've been doing it too, but now they're doing it under a microscope, and I and I get how that's frustrating. Um, but it it's kind of, you know, just the way of the world. <laughs> I can't change that. It's the way of the world today. <laughs> yep. So another 
big piece of what you do, we've kind of been alluding to it already, is um, your focus on milk quality and, and your efforts in that space. Can you share just a few thoughts on what you've seen happen in that space over the last 20 years? And what are one or two things that you see coming down the pike that you think will move us forward in on milk quality? Yes. Um, gosh, go so many. It's been a while, 20 years. Milk quality has improved like so much, right? If if we look at where we are today, our, on average, you know, we're hitting under two hundred thousand cell count all year. It's great. Um, so I think that is phenomenal about where we are today. You know, I remember when I, you know, first started at my my job in at Dean, you know, in twenty ten, it was the big thing, like, you know, the the four hundred thousand cell limit, right? Now yes. the PMO still hasn't caught up. That's fine. That's fine. But by and large, it's not an issue in the dairy industry. Like we've moved past it, right? So I think that's been amazing. And so um, I think we've come a long way. But at the same time, <laughs> same time, um, uh, we still continue to struggle. I think sometimes, you know, on that, on the prevention a little bit. So my trick is like, are we maintaining a very low cell count because we're managing outer health? And I think for some farms, that's the case. And then there's farms that are maintaining a low cell count because they're managing the bulk tank. And to me, that's a different issue. Cows, you mean? Yeah. So we're selling cows, we're holding cows out, right? And so to me, yeah. I think that's kind of the next step. Because I think people, I think everyone has figured out how to manage quality. To me, that next step is, okay, Whenever we need to all get there by managing utter health. So a preventive approach, right? Right. And so... I think that's probably where I'm still not seeing everybody there. I think a lot of folks are still managing the bulk tank, um, which I think is a losing battle. I, I always refer to that as sort of like, whack, it's whack-a-mole, right? It's not sustainable. You're selling cows, you know, holding cows out of the tank. That's not good on. That's not really the, the, the where the benefit is at, right? The benefit is in prevention and really managing our health. Um and and that's where I do think we have some things coming along with um, inline inline diagnostics. I think and more remote monitoring. I think will be the key because the one thing I have had over the years is you know if we look you know first it was you know Strapag right and then E. coli and then sort of my my bug of my what I call my era uh, was Staph aureus and, and mycoplasma. And now, you know, everybody's talking about Protica and there's new strips. Um, so one thing I have is that Mother Nature does not like a void. So we will we will figure out how to tackle one mastitis pathogen and she will quickly loop in another one. Um, which is why we need to focus on other health. Because if, if if we are if we're just really focused on that pathogen, then it's it it is just a whack-a-mole game and and that's just not fun. Um, it's just, it's hard work. <laughs> so, um, I think really focusing in on utter health and, and prevention is the key. And that's where I do think, um, some of the, you know, the inline diagnostics are going to help, but also are better systems, right? So again, um, better systems that can promote our health, edit packs, how do we get better at managing all those? Um, I think that's going to be the key, but I, I do think particularly as, we, from a welfare perspective, right? If, if we're doing our job, um, depending on the dairy and it's growing and heifer pressure coming in, we do hear a lot of talk about longevity. And while, while I don't 
I'm not saying we're going to prescribe, you know, farms have to have cows live so long or X, Y, Z. The reality is there's benefit to longevity. Um, And if we want to be able to keep cows in our herd longer, utter health is key to that, right? And if we're going to minimize lameness and they're going to live longer, we, we want to make sure that we manage that. And so I do think that in in order to to make sure that we're we're kind of fulfilling that potential, um, we do need to, to think about that impact of utter health and, and how do we set the cow up for success long term um, because because it all has to come together. And we know that those are the two main reasons cows exit, you know, all other things like minus reproduction. Um, and, you know, our, our records are quite poor often around why cows leave the herd. <laughs> but mastitis may a major draw uh, or major push for that along along with uh, lameness is key. So I, I do think having those diagnostics are, are going to be key. Um, in remote monitoring as well, like, um, you know, I don't need you know, how good are we at, at, at catching mastitis if it's in line or are there other ways to catch it? I don't know. I think I think there's all kinds of technology that we have coming that we just need to figure out how to use. And that, that's the challenge. We have lots of data, and we're swimming in it, drowning in it sometimes, um, and not really using it effectively. Yep, agreed. Okay, couple of uh, closeout questions here. Uh, first, what's something that you believe, which many people might disagree with? Oh gosh. <laughs> I would say maybe two things uh, I, for veterinarians. So like for my professional cohort, uh, I would say I, when I, I, as a veterinarian, I'm not here to make a pharma money. Right. And I've, I've talked with other veterinarians who say like, well, my job is to make sure my dairy farmer or farmer, whoever my client is um, successful or that they make money. And I've always kind of pushed back on that. Say like, no, that's not my job. It's not my job at all. And, um, I was taught that very early by a client uh, because I learned like I early on, I was sort of filtering options because I made assumptions, right. About like, Oh, this is going to cost too much. We want to, I'm like, I'm not managing that. Um, and I was, I was um, reprimanded might be a strong word. Um, but I was reminded early on by him. He said, no, you're my veterinarian. I expect you to bring me all the options to the table, help me understand what my options are. And you leave it to me to make money. I'll, that's my job. Like, don't, you know. And I do think that sometimes veterinarians um, probably recommend things that maybe aren't in the best interest of animal health or welfare because they are focused on profit for the farm. And and I think that that probably has not served us well when we when we take that approach. And so, um, but again, like you said, I, there's plenty of people who disagree with me. Um, so... Um, and then along with that, I think in the same vein, outside of the, our, the veterinary profession, um, this, I truly believe, I, I wholeheartedly believe and I'm committed to the fact that what we have to do to sustain our dairy industry is strive for optimal welfare and production. I do think, and I know it's very natural because businesses do it all over, is we're maximizing profit. Um, and I honestly think that in maximizing profit on the farm, we are, we're, we're not acknowledging the importance of welfare. We're certainly not optimizing it. I think we're compromising welfare, um, in a way that actually compromises the industry long-term. 
So I, I think we have to take a very long view to both production, profit, and animal welfare. Um, and that's hard because it's, um, you know, it's like every business, it's, it's really easy to just get focused on the, in the short term. And so, um, but yeah, so I think, I think a lot of folks have pushed back on me and say, well, like, well, you'll have to make money. Yeah. Um, but, but I, I think if we can focus on that long term, that would be. It's time for our famous three. The Dairy Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Xzealot by Protecta, a novel product for the management of hypoglycemia. It's uncomplicated excellence. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. DSM, providing innovative feed additives that improve the efficiency and profitability of dairy production. ICC Animal Nutrition, adding value to nutrition. DSM strives to bring our customers efficient, profitable dairy solutions. From essential vitamins like HYD and Victus Transition to next-generation products like Biofix, our portfolio is growing as we continue to bring innovation to the dairy industry. Visit dsm.com to learn more about our newest solutions. Okay, and then we have three standard questions we ask everybody. First of all, what's your favorite dairy-related book or resource? Um, so truly my very, very, my favorite dairy related resource, um, I would say is your, your local veterinarian of record. <laughs> so, so if I want, you know, but, but as long as that veterinarian record is, is again, informed about all these issues of, of welfare and stuff. And I, I'll admit, I, I find that some, some veterinarians, um, haven't, uh, are still kind of taking that old school view of like, what's, what's our role. We get a lot of pushback from veterinarians on, on welfare and our expectations, whether or not pain mitigation should be required for warning. And so I do think your best resource is your local veterinarian that is familiar with the expectations of the farm program that is ready to, to, to help you meet all of those expectations. I um, mean, not just the basics, right? All of those standards of care. Um, so I think that's a good one. Uh, um, and then I do think there's lots out there for training. I, we rely heavily on those, the Merck dairy care videos. I think those are great. There was a great new video out. Um, one was by a land but with the farm program. So, uh, on fitness for transport, um, with the Dr. Edwards, uh, uh, Callaway and Calpo Lorenzo who hosted that. Um, and so, um, I think those are really good ones, but I also think, you know, and, and, and bias, we've developed a couple of tools for farms. Like, um, one of the ones I really try to help with farmers is, um, decision trees on euthanasia. So I think timeliness and euthanasia, um, is a huge issue on farms uh, and it, rightfully so it's hard. Um, but I, you know, I always try to remind folks that death, death is not a welfare issue. Dying is. And, and it's, it's essential that we manage that. And so I think sharing those tools, whether it's kind of developing a, a way, a method, a habit of how do we evaluate quality of life so that we not only make better decisions sooner, we make the people who have to make those decisions that are burdened with that decision, uh, feel good, you know, yep. and give them permission that, that I'm, I made the right decision because I think that's the hardest part. And so 
So we have some of those resources as, as well. Happy to share it. You can put them in the show notes of link or something. Um, but but I do think having those videos is key. We do milk house meetings um, and train farmers. And it's always fun. To, like they always learn something from those videos. You would think that, you know, it's all old news. Um, we just did a, a producer reading in Kentucky and played the fitness for transport video. And I think they really got a lot out of it. And it it's it really spurred questions, which was it was the discussion, right? That's what we wanted to have was a good discussion. So it made them think about things. And they asked us questions. Well, what about this kind of cow? And what about that kind of cow? Um, and so to me, that's where they're a great tool. If we can use it to facilitate discussion, um, that's the point. That's where we're learning together on the farm. And, that, and then they actually understand that there isn't like always a solid, clear answer and that it's okay to go ask somebody like what should i do about that cow so so those are some of our our most used resources i think great what about your favorite book or resource outside of agriculture i would say i and i'm not gonna lie i don't read i listen (laughs) it's an audio book um so uh it's i don't know it was my favorite but it's my most probably my most recent so it's fresh in my head um and that was a book called quiet by by susan king and that's really about the role of introverts as leaders um, and and also leading into the role of empathy in developing a habit of compassion and understanding why empathy isn't necessarily a, um, a perspective that everybody has, which is kind of like was a new concept to me. Um, so and understanding how um, it's important to actually model empathy. Um, on the farm in order for people to start developing a habit of compassion on the farm. So that's my favorite. Okay. And then lastly, uh, in your opinion, what sets successful dairy professionals apart from those that are less successful? Oh, um, I would say, and again, I listened to Dr. Van Oz's podcast um, and she pointed out David Fraser's uh, note on professional dairy farmer. And I think that's the key, dairy professional. And that's sets them apart because if you're a professional that comes with responsibility just like our professions veterinarians right so that's a it's a responsibility and it's a, a willingness to be held accountable to a standard right and so i think that's what, what really sets them apart and those are the ones who if i if i look over the last 20 years uh the farms that are going to sustain in the industry are the ones that they're not the fanciest farms. They're not all that. If I go, if I go, I get the opportunity to go back home to California and get to work with some of my old clients still, who I adore. Um, the farms that are still there and the farms that sustain are the ones that aim to be that top 25%. And again, not, not necessarily because they have the fanciest dairy by any stretch, whether it's quality whether it's, you know, all of those things. They're looking for all of those things. And and now I get to go back and work with them and they're thinking about welfare more, right? And how does that get them to that next level? Because they've got, they've done all the other things, right? So what's next? And it's those farms that really are in the top 25% that are kind of sustained in the future. Um, and I, I think that's key. And I, and I think those same professional dairies look to their trusted professionals, being their veterinarian of record being um, their nutritionist, um, because I, I think, again, another lesson I learned from, from one of my producers, um, when milk, milk was, you know, I don't know when it was, it was in 2003, you know, milk was $16 or whatever it was, um, 
And again, being a, a, a younger, you know, practitioner, um, knowing that things were tight, right? Milk price was just low. There was all these other things. Um, I kind of made some assumptions about like, well, we'll skip that. We'll do this. We'll change this. We won't do that. And and I was again trying to manage. I was why I don't know. I felt compelled to manage his his, his ledger, right? And he just looked at me and said, Jen, we're not changing a thing. If it made sense, it's at if it makes sense at twenty four dollar milk, it better darn make sense at sixty dollar milk. Um, and and that stuck with me. And so when I think about where farms are today and with feed costs and all these other pressures, right? Um, it makes sense now more than ever to pay attention to optimizing welfare because that is is foundational to the business. It's the foundational to how our cows are doing. And so I think the farms that are truly successful um, that I see at the top ones, they see that. It's I don't have to explain. They just, they got it. They got it from the beginning. Um, and, and it's almost how they've always functioned, right? So so those those are the ones that I, I think, and I and I think setting up opportunities for for dairies and podcasts like this are great, where farmers can can you know get other farmers, they listen to other farmers, share that experience, um, are a great opportunity to kind of broaden broaden that view and understand where those opportunities are. For sure, well stated. Thank you. Well, that wraps up our show for for this week, uh, Dr. Jen Walker. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your thoughts. Thanks so much. And don't forget to subscribe to the Dairy Podcast Show. We'll see you next time.